Amen. If you have your Bibles, Matthew 13. Matthew 13, verse 31 through 33. If you don't have a Bible, there should be one near you. If you can't find one, the words should be on the screen here just a little bit. Matthew 13, verse 31 through 33. If you've ever been driving by downtown Oklahoma City, or you've lived anywhere within that area, you've seen a building here recently over the last several years, what we call Devon Tower, that big honking building there overshadowing everything, stands high and tall over every other building in downtown Oklahoma City. It's like a city on a hill, if you will, like a light in the darkness. Again, its presence, it overshadows, it overwhelms, it overpowers seemingly everything within Oklahoma City's area. And you want to know how it got there? One level at a time. That's it. One level at a time, one floor at a time. It started with a foundation, and it kept growing, and it kept growing little bits at a time, one piece at a time, one floor, one level at a time, to where now it overshadows, overwhelms, and overpowers everything. Meaning the Devon Tower had a small beginning with a big ending. It started small, it ended big. As the saying goes, little by little, one travels far. I have another one for you. In the early 1900s, there were a couple of guys who were stumbling around in this wooded, mountainous area, like the one you see on the screen, and they thought to themselves, hey, wouldn't it be cool if like us and our families, maybe people from church, maybe even some youth from the church, like we started to make this a thing and we just kind of camped out here and we kind of made this a tradition. And sure enough, that's what they did. And it grew and it grew. So many tents after several years started to gather out there that it became known as Tent City. But as it grew more and more, there then had to be structures permanent structures, then outdoor restrooms, and then cooking facilities. And from there, over a 100-year period, it transformed from a one 10-day youth camp made up of just a couple hundred people to what we now call Falls Creek, the largest Christian camp in the world. And just in the main eight weeks of camp, every summer, an average of over 55,000 people attend. Every summer. Not long ago, they came out with some numbers and discovered that 35% of all Oklahoma pastors, ministry staff, and evangelists made professions of faith or were called to ministry at Falls Creek. I'm one of them. 21% of all SBC, Southern Baptist missionaries, all around the world with ties to Oklahoma, 21% of them received their call to to vocational full-time missions at Falls Creek. More than 2.3 million people have walked the grounds of this camp. 
Over 262,000 life-changing decisions with nearly 65,000 professions of faith have been made over this 100-year period. But it had a small beginning. Just a couple of guys, a couple hundred people, one or two decisions. It started small, it ended big, it continues to go on. Well, the theme of today's passage and the message is growth, specifically growing together. God has designed his church for there to be growth, for us also to grow together. Externally, think kind of numerical growth and expansion, but also internally. Think of growing internally by transformation. Well, today we're going to introduce both of these ideas while focusing more on the internal, while next week as we wrap this series up, we'll focus more on the external. But as you open up the chapter of 13 in Matthew's gospel, you see that Jesus is sitting on a boat on the Sea of Galilee. The reason he's sitting on a boat on the Sea of Galilee is because hundreds of people, hundreds upon hundreds have gathered on the shores and want to hear him teach. And so he gets in this boat, he goes off a little bit ways from the shore so that the sound will carry over the water, right? This is before microphones and so on and so forth. And so this is what he does, and he begins to teach them, but he begins to teach them through stories. He's a great, masterful storyteller, and he begins to tell them parables, these stories that are like gut punches full of truth, like truth stories, And so he starts in Matthew 13, as we read, he starts with this parable of the sower. This man goes out and he's planting the seed, right? And and some of the seed falls on the path where people walk. And then some seed falls on the thorns, like places where the thorns are growing and everything and the weeds. And then another spot, it falls on rocky soil. And then finally, some of the seed, only 25% of it, falls on good, good soil. And that seed sinks down It's transformed and then expands, bearing much good fruit. But then he tells another agricultural type story, a parable of the wheat and the weeds, or the wheat and the tares, right? This is a classic story of his as well. And so what the story is, basically this guy goes out and he plants seed. And then he goes in for the day, and then that night an enemy comes and also plants his seed, well, his seed that the enemy plants is what we call these tares or this, these weeds. And what's interesting, Jesus uses a specific kind of weed so that when the wheat and the tares begin to grow, initially they look exactly the same. They almost look identical. But then they keep growing and growing and growing. And then you find out who the real wheat is and who the real weeds are based off the fruit that is finally and eventually exposed. And then we arrive at another parable. Two parables, actually, we're going to look at this morning. Matthew 13, verse 31, and Jesus tells this other story, this other parable, and this is what he says. The kingdom of heaven is like a mustard seed, which a man took and planted in his field. Verse 32, though it is the smallest of all seeds... Yet when it grows, it, that little mustard seed, turns into the largest 
of garden plants and becomes like a tree so that the birds come and perch or nest in its branches. The kingdom of heaven, another parable here, is like yeast or leaven that a woman took and mixed into about 60 pounds or three measures of flour until it worked all through the dough. Now, I've got here some mustard seeds. I carry these around a lot. Not really. Um, I have here some mustard seeds. You can buy these at Walmart if you really want to, I guess. Um, The question is, is can you see this little seed? No, at least not from your point, right? I mean, that's kind of the point. It is super, super tiny and small. Literally, the average size of a mustard seed is 0.05 inches, much smaller than a, like a popcorn kernel, for example. And so what Jesus does here is he draws our attention to the mustard seed. Why? Because it starts small, it ends big. This little seed, average of 0.05 inches, can grow from anywhere from 3 to 15 feet high and just as wide. Starts small, ends big. And Jesus' audience, remember, they're there standing on the shore, most of them in the agricultural kind of background, farmers, that kind of thing. That's why he loved to use these kind of analogies and pictures. But his audience on the shore knew the mustard plant to be very common. Most of them actually would have considered it a weed because of how fast it could spread and how wide it could spread. As one of our staff members said, think of Sambers. That's exactly what happens, or any weed for that matter. When conditions are right, the mustard plant can become quite large. So what's Jesus' point? His point is this, that the kingdom of heaven, meaning the presence, message, and work of Jesus in and through his gospel, the message and his life, ministry, death, burial, and resurrection, and the message he came to proclaim, in and through his gospel and his people, starts small, it ends big. Meaning it comes from a small beginning. It has a massive, huge, big ending. It arises from this humble, seemingly obscure and unnoticeable or unseen origin, like a baby being born in Bethlehem. As one author wrote, seeds are planted and begin to grow in the dark. But then they expand, going from immaturity to maturity, to growing and growing. And depending on the type of seed, it can grow so much. And if the conditions are just right to where it overshadows, overwhelms, and overpowers everything in the garden. Just like a mustard plant. Like a city on a hill like a light in the darkness. This is what the kingdom of heaven is like, the presence and message and work of Jesus in and through his gospel and his people. It starts small, it ends big, like the mustard seed to the mustard plant. Jesus also captures this point by using the imagery of bread. He transitions in his second story to bread. Three measures in that day 
which as we saw, can be anywhere from 40 to 60 pounds. 40 to 60 pounds of flour, which could make over 50 loaves of bread. That's a lot of, that's a lot of breadsticks, right? And this woman, she takes a hint of leaven and she hides it. Literally, the word that Jesus uses is the word where, where we get crypto or encryption. It's hidden. It's concealed. It can also mean to put something into something. So this, in a way, is how Jesus plants himself into our world. The light of the world is put into the darkness. His presence and message and his work then permeates and expands into the entire batch of the world and through his gospel message and his people, the church. It grows so much to where the kingdom of God, it overshadows and overwhelms and overpowers everything. He plants small, it grows big. For example, we have seen how this played out literally in the days of Jesus, where Jesus took 12 guys just a small group, right? He had more followers at this point, but he took aside these 12. He called them apostles, and he takes these 12 guys, and he readies them for three years. He disciples them, meaning he taught and trained them to live the way of Jesus under the lordship of Jesus. He discipled them. He then plants them, if you will, and uses them to continue a movement that is unstoppable and has grown unspeakably huge. For example, as Luke wrote in Acts chapter 1 in his first opening verses, he says, in my former book, Theophilus, he's writing to this guy named Theophilus, which he also wrote the gospel of Luke too. So he's saying, hey, what I wrote to you in that first book, the the Gospel of Luke, I now write to you in Acts. In that first book, I wrote all about what Jesus began to do. But here now in the book of Acts, Luke is writing to Theophilus about what Jesus continues to do. In and through his Holy Spirit and his church and his message. And that movement continued, as we see through the book of Acts, is so much so that we read at the end of the book, the last verse in the whole book, we read that the proclamation of the kingdom of God and the teaching about the Lord Jesus Christ continued with all boldness and without hindrance, even when the messenger is under house arrest. The presence, message, and work of Jesus in and through his gospel and his people continued to grow, and it continues to grow even today. Again, as we saw a few weeks back, the number of Christians around the world just in 2010 was a community of more than 2 billion. Even if the research is half right, that's a lot. From 12, a few dozen, a couple hundred, to billions like a city on a hill, like a light in the darkness, like a building in a downtown that overshadows, overwhelms, and overpowers everything. It starts small, it ends big. And so you and I today, we must continue this growth. We must continue to grow together, continue what Jesus started, what he continues to do. We must grow together externally. Think of the mustard plant numerical expansion, so to speak. But we also must continue to grow together 
internally. Think of the leaven in the bread, transformation. And next week, again, we're going to focus on the external as we finish this series, looking at our need to go together. But today, just focusing in on this grow together internally. All throughout Scripture, especially in the New Testament, we're commanded to fulfill all these one another commands. We've talked about this before, that there are over 50 one another commands in the New Testament. Love one another. Serve one another. Pray for one another. Bear one another's burdens. Greet each other with a holy kiss. Some of you want to fulfill that. Some of you don't. That's okay. But all throughout Scripture, we're commanded to live out these one another commands. It becomes so obvious that you and I cannot do this alone. We can't do this alone. We cannot grow internally alone. We cannot become like Christ, living fully the way of Jesus under the Lord, Lordship of Jesus by ourselves. God did not design it that way. And I would argue the best space and place for true, authentic community in which we are truly transformed internally from one degree of glory to another, to borrow Paul's words, becoming like Christ in every way, in which we are teaching and training one another to fully live the way of Jesus under the Lordship of Jesus, the best space and place in which we truly live the one another commands is in a small group context or setting. One or two believers meeting together. Four or five. Five to ten. Small group context. Believers who are truly meeting together, as we saw that first week, who are drawing near to one another. Who are healing together. As we saw last week, who are fighting together and who are growing together. Teaching and training one another to live Fully the way of Jesus under the Lordship of Jesus. Where walls come down. Where hearts are exposed. Where thoughts are revealed. And where false ideas, beliefs, or behaviors are challenged from God's word and from dialogue with each other. And make no mistake about it. There's some big famous pastors who need this, by the way. There's something special about gathering together with the whole body of believers in a context like this. But it's in the space and place of small groups. Those walls coming down, hearts exposed, thoughts revealed, false ideas, beliefs, or behaviors challenged from God's word and from dialogue with each other. That is where true growth together internally transformation happens. As Booker T. Washington said, listen, success in life is founded upon the attention to the small things. To the small things, rather than to the large things. To the everyday things that are right there nearest to us. Our neighbor, our brother and sister in Christ. Rather than to the things that are remote and uncommon. Or as Mother Teresa said, you want to change the world Go home and love your family. Jesus said, listen, you want to change the world? Then serve one another just as I've served you. Lay down your lives for each other. Love each other just as I've loved you. And the best space and place for that is in the context or setting of small groups. One or two believers, four or five, five to ten. 
God has designed the church for us to gather and meet with the whole body, yes, but also to be planted and to flourish in and through small groups just like the apostles were. Because hear this, there's another aspect to these two parables that Jesus is telling us. The parable of the mustard seed and the parable of the leaven or the yeast. There are some key details in these short stories that cause the listener, that cause that person on the shore to ask themselves, what does he mean by that? What does he mean by that? Because Jesus never wastes words, especially in his storytelling. For example, in the parable of the mustard seed, why does he mention the birds nesting or perching in the branches? Just seems like this random detail. He said, well, it might be just to describe how big the mustard tree grows and things like that. But, but why? Because it seems odd. Because if you're standing on the shore that day and you hear the parable of the sower, then you're immediately going to remember that the birds in that parable represented the evil one, the devil himself. Why then also go from that imagery to leaven or yeast in bread? Especially if you're a Jewish person in that audience, leaven all throughout Scripture usually, not always, but most of the time, is used to refer to a bad thing, bad teaching or doctrine or hidden, secret, concealed sin that permeates and destroys everything. I think it's possible there's another point that Jesus is making here. In addition to the expansion and permeation of his kingdom. And it's a point that I think makes meeting in a small group context all the more important. Where walls are coming down, hearts are exposed, thoughts are revealed, false ideas and false beliefs and false behaviors are challenged or flat out rebuked sometimes from God's word and from dialogue with each other. And what's the point? Well, as the kingdom of heaven continues to grow and flourish and expand and penetrate this dark world, and as you and I personally grow together, becoming more and more like Jesus in every way, we must know that the evil one will seek to come and nest in that movement. To nest in that process. To nest in our community. He will seek to arrive by the shadows, in the secret, gather on the fringes, so as to deceive you, so as to divide you, so as to destroy you. So as it grows big, as you and I grow, we must know that the evil one is coming. There are dangers lurking externally all around us, but also internally among us. There's weeds among us. There are birds all around us. Which again makes growing together, meeting in a small group context, walls coming down, hearts exposed, thoughts revealed, false ideas, beliefs, or behaviors challenged. It makes it all the more important because you and I are vulnerable. The famous hymn goes, prone to wonder, Lord, I feel it. 
It's why in Hebrews chapter 3, the author is reminding us, don't be like those in the wilderness who hardened their hearts and who rebelled and turned away from the living gods. Instead, he goes on to say, he said, listen, you have to encourage one another daily, every single day, with urgency, as long as it's called today. Why? So that none of you may be hardened by sin's deceitfulness, thereby turning away from the living God and rebelling as so many have done before. In other words, if we're going to live like Christ, if we're going to be like Christ, if we're to be healthy in Christ, to grow in Christ, we need each other. I'm not talking about just a 30-minute sermon once a week. You need each other. We need each other. Th- th- think of it all in this way. Think of human life. It begins with a seed, Right? And that seed grows, forms into this little baby. So you have this newborn that turns into this child, who then turns into this adult. This natural progression starts small, ends big. And here's what's amazing about human beings. The only thing in creation created in the image of God, humans, when first born, are 100% dependent on others. For survival, for health, and for growth. And as that baby grows, becomes a child, becomes an adolescent, becomes a teen, young adult, even in our middle ages, even in our senior adult ages, we need others in an intimate, safe space and place to teach and to train us to be wise as serpents and innocent as doves, as Jesus would say. Why? Because there's dangers lurking all around us, every corner. Dangers that threaten your life, your health, or your growth. Weeds are among us. Evil is present. Additionally, we're prone to make terrible decisions. We're prone to wonder. We're weak and vulnerable. We battle the flesh and so on. So if you want a human child to live a full life, to be healthy and growing as they ought to, then I, as like a parent or a guardian or as a leader, must teach and train, disciple them to be ready to survive in this world, to be healthy and to grow in this world. And the same is true for this long Christian journey that you and I are on. There's a reason the Bible relates our Christian lives to human life in general. You're born again. You're like newborn infants in Christ. Once you enter into Christ, you're like a human baby in a way. You're 100% dependent on others for survival, for health, for growth. Look at the parable of the sower for an example. So in an intimate, safe space and place, we need others. Those who are seasoned in the faith, who've been through every season of life, to teach and to train us to be as wise as serpents and innocent as doves, to live fully the way of Jesus under the lordship of Jesus, because there are dangers lurking around every corner. There's weeds among us, and sometimes you don't know who the weeds are. Evil is present The evil one seeking to nest in all of it. 
There's the world. There's our flesh. All such things that threaten our spiritual lives and our spiritual health and our spiritual growth. So we need this meeting in small group context. Two or three, four or five, five to ten where walls are coming down. Hearts are exposed. Thoughts are revealed. False ideas, false beliefs, false behaviors challenged from God's words and from dialogue with each other. And there's nobody above that. Nobody is above that. If we're ever to grow internally, to live healthy, transformed, growing lives in Christ, we need each other. So Jesus' point is that the kingdom of heaven, the presence, the message, and the work of Jesus in and through his gospel and his people, it starts small, it ends big. Part of that growth is our internal transformation, becoming more and more like Jesus in every way, teaching and training one another to live fully the way of Jesus under the lordship of Jesus. And that transformation, that internal growth, is dependent on the Lord and his church, his body. He's designed us for community. Because again, we are created in the image of God who lives in community. Listen, we are all a work in progress. So let's grow together because in community we are better together. With heads bowed, eyes closed, I'm going to invite the team forward. For some of us in this room, man, the Spirit's just been working on us. This week, this morning, this month, this year, this decade. Working on us to turn our hearts back to Him. We, our hearts have begun hardened by the deceitfulness of sin. And we've begun to rebel in certain areas or spaces or contexts in our life. And He's calling us back to Him. To set our thoughts, our minds on Jesus in certain aspects of our life maybe our entire life. He's calling you to come to him, surrender everything, to give him everything, to live fully the way of Jesus under the lordship of Jesus and how you act and react, how you think, how you speak, in your demeanor, in your relationships, in your decision process, everything. For others of us, man, we just want to sit in the presence of the Lord. We just want to give him thanks and just praise for who he is. For others of us, we want to pray for a brother or sister during this time. For others of us, we have a decision to make to surrender lordship to Jesus for the first time, to follow through in baptism, maybe to declare to the world, I have been crucified with Christ. It's no longer I who lives, but Christ who lives in me. I've been buried with him in baptism and raised in a newness. I've been born again, and now I've been called now to walk with Jesus. But I just want to make that public. Even as I pray, whatever the Spirit's leading you to do, maybe it's just to lift up the nations in prayer. These steps are open to you. Even as I pray, you come. Father, we thank you. We love you. Stir our hearts and minds. To surrender lordship to you in every area of our life. Yes, may we grow numerically as you continue to 
reach the nations with your gospel and through your people. But help us also to grow internally. Internal transformation, becoming more and more like Christ in every way, in every respect. Help us to draw near to each other, to meet together, to heal together, to fight together, to grow together. Whatever it is you're working on in our hearts and minds this morning, pray that we would be obedient in responding to what it is you're calling us to for your glory. In Jesus' name I pray, amen. You stand with us. Weston and I will be down here if you need to come talk.